Thanks for joining us. To keep up with the latest news and podcasts, visit www.propelchurchaz.com. Now get ready for a great message from Pastor G. Hey, well, I just uh, want to encourage you to pull out your Bibles, pull out your outlines right now. We're going to start a, a new series today entitled Better Together. And as you saw in the opening video, there are many things in life that are better together. A lot of things are coupled together because they go better together. You know, one example, obviously, would be certain foods that we eat. And you saw the burger and the fries. The fries help make the meal better. If you have pizza, wings make that meal tastier if you have wings with the pizza. If you have cake, ice cream has to go on top. I'm just saying. It makes the cake a whole lot better. And so there are many things in life that are better together, including the relationships that we have. And we even see in cartoons or animated movies, there are great relationships together. If you ever grew up in my day and age, uh, Tom and Jerry were of fantastic example of those two were better together. It would not be fun to watch a cartoon with just Tom or just Jerry, but they together made it a lot of laughs possible. Or Buzz and Woody in a more of a current modern day generation, those two relationships go together, or Mickey and Minnie. But even talking about our relationships that we have in our life, God brought us together because we are better together. And I know the month of February focuses on Valentine's Day and all of the romantic love and all that kind of goes with it. And, but in this series, we're going to look at all the different types of relationships that we have within our life. Why? Because we're better together. And I know that there may be some unhealthy relationships within our lives. Maybe that's not because of our choice. It could be because of past hurts or wounds from others that have... Uh, have done towards us and we've forgiven them we've tried to move on and yet I want to look at what God's heart is in the idea of relationships because he looks at it as that we are better together and my prayer and hope is that if there are unhealthy relationships within your life in some way some form that God would bring a healing and a wholeness into your life if you've not experienced that yet even in throughout this relationship even throughout this series at talking about relationships the fact is this God created us for relationship because we are better together. He created you and I to have relationships because we are better together with others. And when we can go back to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis to see that God created mankind to have relationship with him. That's why he created humanity. It's because he wanted a relationship. God created Eve for Adam to have a helpmate. So that he'd have a relationship together here on earth. God has always been about relationships. In fact, the Trinity and God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit operates together in perfect harmony, perfect relationship with one another. And God has always existed because he's eternal. He's always been about relationship. And we just saying that, you know, God's how beautiful or how glorious or how outrageous is his love for us. And that is so true. Scripture says God is love. That's who he is. In his character, in his person, as God. And some of you here today need to hear that. And I want to just declare it over your life that how beautiful, 
how glorious and how outrageous is God's love for you today. And he created us to have a relationship with him out of his love towards us. But he wants us to have relationships together here on earth. Why? Because we're better together. He created us to have that relationship. We accomplish more together. It's more fun to do life together. There is encouragement and strength together. And so we're going to look at some of the different relationships that we have in this series to affirm the knowledge that we have that we are better together. This is why Solomon writes this in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. He says, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered. Two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. And so the wisdom of God in his word here says that two people are better than one. They're better together. There's strength in our relationships. One can help the other when they're in need. One can help protect the other when they need protection. Our lives are to be intertwined together like a cord that is not easily or not quickly broken. And so the point and wisdom of this scripture is this. Relationships have the power of multiplication in their effort and purpose. We are better together. We can accomplish more together. We can do more together. We can enjoy life better because we're better together. God brings us together in relationships with others to not only enjoy the other person or to enjoy other people, but really to accomplish life together with purpose. To multiply our efforts together. To do more than what we've ever dreamed of doing. Why? Because there's multiplication or there's the power of our efforts and purpose together. Without relationships, life is not as fun. Amen. I don't know if you ever thought about that or imagined that. You know, what would life be like if I didn't have any relationships? It wouldn't be as fun. It would take us longer to create and accomplish all that we need to do and want to accomplish. Without relationships, life seems empty and meaningless. That's why, and this is so important that we understand this, that God didn't create us to live a Lone Ranger life. God never intended for us to do life by ourselves. Many times people put up barriers and walls towards others, or, they, or at least to the thought and idea of having other relationships close to them. And maybe, be, again, it's because of past hurts or because of past wounds. It was never God's intention for humanity to do life alone. God created us to be together. He created us to have family relationships, to have friendships, to have the church body family, the spiritual family rally around us, to have relationships with other cultures and ethnicities. If we live life with the, with the mentality that life is better alone, we miss out on God's plan and purpose through relationships and the impact that we have doing life together. In John chapter 13, Jesus washed the feet of his disciples on the night of the Last Supper, and Jesus said he'd only be with them a little while longer, and that where he was going, they wouldn't be able to come with him. 
And then Jesus goes on in verses 34 and 35 to say this. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so Jesus gives them this command to love one another. And so in regards to our relationships, our relationship with Jesus is the foundation for our relationship with others. That's really what Jesus was telling them in order to love others. In order to love others the way that God wants us to, it begins out of our relationship with Christ. If we're not solid in our relationship with Jesus, if we're not solid in our love for God and who he is and what he's done for our lives, it's more difficult to love people, especially when it comes to their shortcomings. Right? If we don't have God's love within us, it's hard to love people right where they're at. We can get frustrated easily with people if we're not viewing them through the lens of how Jesus loves them, of how God views them. And we, when we begin to understand the Father's heart and we begin to understand how God views people out of his love and he will reveal his love to us for others, when we understand that, then we can truly begin to love others the way that God wants us to. But it all starts with our love for Jesus. And the reality is this. Love should be the motivating factor in every relationship that we have. Not just our close relationships, but love should be the motivating factor in all of our relationships. Every relationship that we pursue should be because we have a love for God and a love for people. Love is what pulls and draws us together. Love strengthens relationships. Love is what motivates us to do life together with others. And if we don't have love, our relationship is then based on our own strengths. It's even based on our own weaknesses and who we are instead of God's power and love flowing through us to love others. And when we're operating out of our flesh in our relationships, our tendency is to be self-seeking in what we can get out of the relationship for us instead of what we can invest into the relationship to make it better. That's why Jesus was telling his disciples and for us to love one another out of his love for us and then out of our love for Jesus. God wants to flow through us to help and be able to love others. And this is the reason why Jesus was really saying this is because our love for others is the testimony of our love for God. When we truly love people in all of their successes and all of their failures and mistakes, when we love them unconditionally the way God does, then our love for others is a living testimony of our love for God as believers and followers of Christ. Now, that's easier said than done, to love people, right? Especially Especially the close relationships, especially those intimate ones where you know that person and they know you inside and out because we know each other's faults and weaknesses, Jesus said, people will know that you're a follower of me when you love one another, when we love people. And love is not just about the words, I love you. Love is all about the action behind the words. It's what we do to show our love. It's what we do to follow through on our love for the people in our lives, for the relationships that we have. 
Paul addresses the Corinthian church about love and what it looks like and what it doesn't look like. And the reason he addressed them is because they struggled in this area. They were more concerned with the spiritual gifts that God had given them and how they used the spiritual gifts and how often they used the spiritual gifts more so than they were about the fruit of the Spirit being manifested in their lives. And he says this in this familiar passage in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Now, at first glance, when we read that passage, we could see that Paul is against spiritual gifts. And that he was saying, do away with them. But that's not what he was saying. He wasn't against spiritual gifts. In fact, he was telling them in the chapter before about the power, the purpose, and the function of spiritual gifts. And so he continues that line of thought in using and operating the spiritual gifts that we have to do it with love. We have to operate in our life in spiritual gifts and whatever God calls us to out of love. And the point he's trying to make here is this. We are nothing without love. The Corinthian church was focusing on speaking in tongues rather than operating in the spiritual gifts out of love. They became focused on the gifts rather than the character of God, rather than the fruit of the spirit of love and how our lives should be bathed in God's love so that we can truly love people the way that God wants us to, that everything we do should be done out of love. And so their priorities were out of order because they were elevating the spiritual gifts higher than they were of who God is as love. And he gives the example. He said, I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels. And I can utilize my spiritual gifts, but without love, all it sounds like is this clanging cymbal or this resounding gong that's going to make a lot of noise for a few moments. But in a few moments, that, that noise is going to be gone, and that's what people are going to be left with. But he says, if you would speak in tongues or you would operate in the spiritual gifts with love, that's going to have a greater and a longer-lasting effect in the body's life, in the body of Christ. There's going to be a greater impact. Why? Because love is the motivating factor, not utilizing the spiritual gift. And that's why in the very last verse in chapter 12, the chapter before, Paul says, eagerly desire the greater spiritual gifts. And he goes on to say, yet I'm going to show you the most excellent way referencing love in this chapter. We've got to have a love for God and we've got to have a love for people. Amen. Jesus broke that down very clearly. We can't operate in spiritual gifts without love. We can't operate in life without love because we are nothing without love is what Paul was saying. He was going on to say that we can accomplish all these things for God. We can prophesy. We can have a great faith, the biggest faith possible that we could ever muster up or we can give and share all that we have to the poor. We can lay our lives down in the hardship and trials of ministry or life or all that God calls us to. But if we don't have love, it doesn't mean a thing. There's no purpose to it without love. That's why 
We need the fruit of the Spirit, and we also need spiritual gifts. But we can't get one out of order. And we've got to operate in love within our lives. Spiritual gifts must be grounded in love and the other fruit of the Spirit. And then Paul goes on to tell us what love is and what love isn't in verses 4 through 7. He says, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. And love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. and always perseveres. Now, I don't know about you, but when I look at that list, I'm like, wow, I've failed in my lifetime at certain moments and certain times because that's a hard list to live up to. And it's not easy. But again, we can't do this within our own ability or strength. It's through God's power and love for us and in us that we can operate in love towards others in all of our relationships. And so to understand how to love, we must understand that true love comes from humility to honor the Lord in our relationships. Sometimes we can get off track a little bit in our relationships so that we, we're going to honor God in, in our relationship with him. We get that because he's number one. He's, he gave his son for us and we have salvation because of God and eternal life because of him. So we're going to honor him. But sometimes we don't treat others with honor and the love that God wants us to because we focus on him versus the others. And we don't focus on God's love wanting to honor others through a humility surrender to him. To truly love, we must be humble. In order to love our spouse, in order to love our children, in order to love other family members or friends or any relationship that we have, we have to love with a humility within our life. It's impossible to love people when we're prideful because we're focused on ourselves. And so out of our love for God and wanting to honor him in all of our relationships, we choose to operate out of a spirit of humility, just like Christ did. In fact, when we love in humility towards others, we are honoring God in that relationship. We represent Christ in our actions and others see Jesus in us. When we love others. And so Paul gives us this list of what it, love looks like and what it doesn't look like. In fact, he's telling us about really what God's standard of love is. He's painting the picture of how God views love and what it looks like. This passage is read at a lot of weddings between a husband and a wife. You may have heard this passage read at a lot of weddings. But I want you to understand again that this list applies to every relationship that we have. Amen whether close relationships or, or, or whether what, the, the ones that we are just acquaintances, maybe if a friend, all, this list applies to all of our relationships and how we should view the relationship and how we can love others. And so we see God's standard of love is being patient. It's very, to be, it's very easy to be impatient. I'll admit that. I can be very impatient at times within my flesh because patience is difficult people are imperfect people operate or think differently than we do they come at things differently even in the view of the relationship that you're in with them they can look at it differently than how you view it 
And so patience is hard. It takes effort on our part in order to love them the way that God wants us to love them. But understand, even Jesus modeled this. He, he was patient with his disciples in teaching him what he wanted in them to learn. And they didn't get it sometimes. Yet he was patient with them. And he would correct them in the moment. And he would continue to show them and model for them what patience is. Why? Because patience is love. God's standard of love is being kind. Kindness towards others shows others the love that we have for God and how we live it out in our lives. The Bible says that God's kindness towards us is what led us to repentance. Meaning when we realize or recognize for that first time that God loves us and that we have sinned, that we've done wrong, it's his mercy, it's his grace. Even even being able to understand that he sent Christ as the one and only Son and Savior and Lord over our lives to forgive us of our sins. When we recognize that, it's because of God's kindness. He didn't have to. God didn't have to show kindness for us. It's our sin that separated us from God. It wasn't him separating himself from us. But yet it's God's kindness that leads us to a heart change. And so when other people experience our kindness to towards them and they don't they may not even deserve it but when we show kindness to people God can use that to open up and soften their hearts to bring about a heart change in them why so that he can either draw them into a relationship with them or that he can draw them into a closer deeper relationship with him but he uses kindness another standard of God's love is putting others first instead of self Loving others is not seeing what I can get out of the relationship. It's not having selfish motives to please self. Like, I'm going to use you, I'm going to manipulate you, I'm going to do this or say this because I want to get this out of it. That's not love. We can't please ourselves and love others at the same time. It doesn't work like that. We must set aside any selfish motive in order to please, or any selfish motive to please self in order to love others. Love is an investment of setting our needs and desires to meet someone else's needs and desires. That's what love is. And it's not about the emotional or romantic feelings or whatever type of feeling. That's not love. Those are emotions. Now, God is a God of emotion. There's an emotional side to God, and he's given us that to experience life with emotions. But emotions in and of themselves is not love. It's the commitment to live out these things in this list is what love is. This passage also says that God's standard of love is honoring others. When we love people, we're not looking to dishonor them. We're not trying to find out all their dirty secrets in order to bring it up to them or to publicly embarrass them in some way. We're not trying to bring them down, but we see the positive in them to honor and lift them up. When we're trying to bring others down or dishonor them, we are operating out of our own insecurity instead of out of love. If we truly love them, we want to honor people. And sometimes that can be hard for certain actions, but we have to look for the good. Why? Because then it gives us an opportunity to show kindness when they may not deserve it. And God may use that to bring them into a relationship or a deeper relationship with him. 
So we've got to honor others. God's standard of love is being slow to anger. When we become easily angered, our our anger flies off the handle. We're not demonstrating or we're not walking in the love that God wants us to in our relationships. God calls us to be slow to anger, which takes patience. It works together. Out of our love for people, and when we see the best in them, even in those moments when their weaknesses are exposed, God calls us to continue our patience in being slow to anger. Wow, that's not easy. That is not easy. Even for those drivers on 347. (laughs) When they're going 80 miles an hour and they can't get out of Maricopa or back into Maricopa quick enough and they want to cut us off, we've got to be slow to anger. We also see that God's standard of love is forgetting others' wrongs. This is a hard one, especially when we're close in a relationship with someone. Because when we've been wronged by someone else, we want to throw it back in their face. That's our natural man. That's our flesh that wants to throw it back in their face, to get back at them, to bring up their wrongs. And if not in the moment, we will tuck that away in our head and we're going to try to bring it up at a later time. I'm going to cash this in at the right time. But that's not love. In fact, God calls us to forgive and forget just like he does towards us. And this is an amazing thing that it still blows my mind that how can God love us so much? And he sent his one and only son to pay the price for our sin. And when we confess our sin, scripture says he is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sin. And he forgets it as far as the east is from the west, scripture says. How can God who knows all forget our sin? That blows my mind, but that's what he calls us to to do in our relationships is for when we've been wrong to forgive and to forget. Allow God to bring the healing in those hurts and wounds, not to hang on to those hurts and wounds. Because when we hang on to those things, it only hurts us. Bitterness can set in. And then it begins to affect every single relationship that we have within our lives. And if we allow bitterness to stay there, it will take over our life to the point where we view through the lens of everybody's out to get us. Everybody's wronged us. Everybody's hurt us. And that was not God's intention for us to live like that. And so we have to forgive and to forget as hard as it is. And God's power and spirit is here to help us to be able to do that because it's not easy. And I've been there. I've experienced large hurts, large offenses done towards me. But I know in the moment that when that happens, and sometimes there's several days, months, where I will get up every day and I will choose to forgive that person that's wronged me. And over time, I begin to feel God's love naturally take over for that person. And I can bless them in Jesus' name. And I can pray for them for God's will to be done in their hearts and lives. But we've got to forgive and forget. True love doesn't look for the opportunity to bring up others' wrongs. Love chooses to forget them. Another standard of God's love is pursuing and rejoicing in the truth, not evil. We must always look for and live in the truth. We should never rejoice or delight in evil, or when others are caught in their sin, we shouldn't rejoice. 
Instead, we should rejoice in the truth that God is willing and wanting to forgive them and restore their life to wholeness. To rejoice in the truth of God's word and his love for our lives, his forgiveness for our lives. Pursuing the truth in everything. Rejoicing in the truth and not in evil. The last thing we see in this passage is that God's standard of love is continually protecting, trusting, hoping, and persevering. God always wants us to protect, trust, hope, and persevere in and through our relationships. And when we truly love others, we will always protect them. We will always be there for them and our relationship with them. We will always trust others. We're always going to put our hope in them and believe the best about them because we love them. We will always persevere in our relationship with them because of love. Meaning this, that we are always going to go out of our way as, to the best of our ability. That we're going to make sure that that relationship is healthy. We're going to invest in the relationship. We're going to choose to forgive when we're wronged. We're going to continue to speak life to that person. And in, 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 in and through the relationship. Why? Because we love them. Because God wants us to always protect our relationships, to trust in those around us, to put our hope in them and persevere no matter the storm or the trial that that, that that relationship may go through. That's God's heart and how he views our relationships. When you, when you begin to look at it, these are God's standards of love for every relationship that we have, but this is a high bar that's been set for us. But here's the deal. It's possible through our love for God and through his power at work in us to be able to love others. God makes it possible for us to accomplish all that he has for us. The last thing I want to leave you with is the very first part of the very next verse, verse 8, 8a. It says, love never fails, period. I love this statement in regards to our relationships because to be better together, we must understand that love never fails ever. If we're going to live in relationships and understand with the knowledge that we are better together as a church, we're better together in our marriage, we're better together in our family relationships and friends and other relationships that we have in our life, we have to understand that love never fails, ever. Amen. It doesn't. That's why we have to choose love. That's why God is love. Think about it. God's love never fails in our life. Carrie right. already mentioned during the time of worship and through prayer that God always loves us. And his love never fails. It never ends. That's who he is. God is love, and God created relationships for our lives in order for us to be better together. That we wouldn't do life as a lone ranger or on our own. But in order to be better together, we must continually love God and love others. Loving others is a constant action on our part. And when we love others, love never fails. God always accomplishes what he wants to do through love. God's love towards us never fails because of who he is and how he loves us. Even when he has to discipline us, he does it out of love, scripture says. 
His love towards us is what shapes and molds us to be able to love others according to his power at work in us, in our lives. God calls us to love others. Why? Because we're better together and because love never fails, ever. It never fails. Love will never fail you. People may fail you, but love will never fail you. There's a difference. And that's what God calls us to in every single relationship that we have.